before after that, that's when I went back to banking. Well, one of the coaches actually banked where I worked. And so with it, I was able to kind of see where expenses were going. And that's what really just made me like, you know what, I can't. Like, I knew it was happening, but for me to actually see what was going on, that just made it 10 times worse for me. And so it was, it was really from that point on, I'm like, no, I, I can't trust anything. I'm really glad to have you tuned in to hear a very interesting episode uh, talking about club basketball. Uh, this is a sport in which I have almost zero involvement. In fact, I would say zero involvement. But uh, the things that our guests today have to say, I think, are going to be very interesting to uh, all of us who are playing club and travel sports across the entire sports spectrum. Anisha McBride joins us today. And as a parent of a club basketball player, she provides some really interesting insight especially around the topic of cost and gaining that visibility into the cost that the clubs are incurring um, and then comparing that to price to see, you know, really how much money are we talking about and what are things you can do to help uh, minimize uh, your cost. Because at the end of the day, uh, it's really about, or a big part of club sports is development, right? So whether you pay a little or a lot, you need that development. So anyway, uh, glad to have you here. Happy New Year, and welcome to the club. We're super excited to have Anisha McBride with us today. Anisha McBride, Anisha McBride is a uh, parent of a senior in high school, um, who's uh, a son who's been in the basketball scene for for quite some time, and really excited to have her on today to talk about her experiences with club basketball. Anisha, thanks so much for taking the time and welcome to the club. Oh, Matt, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so looking forward to sharing my knowledge, my experience, you know, all the above when it comes to club sports in general, especially when it deals with basketball. Yeah, I'll be honest, uh, just right off the bat here, I have zero exposure to club and travel basketball um my kids did not play any real organized basketball at all uh no high school basketball certainly no club basketball so uh i'm really looking forward to this conversation to kind of get getting into uh learning quite a bit and you know uh, leveraging your experiences for for our listeners so can you just talk about how you know when did you realize, I think uh, your son, who's a senior now, uh, when did basketball kind of become his thing? Has it always been his thing? Was he, did he adopt it late? You know, kind of, how did you get started uh, with your, with your kiddo? Yeah. So my son actually started basketball when he was five, about four or five. Um, wow. And it was something that I wanted him to want to do on his own. Actually, initially, I started out allowing him to do soccer, for one, because I know soccer is, is great when it comes to footwork with any sport. Um, but then I noticed that he started gravitating towards basketball. He also did flat football, too. He was really, really good at that. Um, mm -hmm. Just to kind of give you a picture or an idea of what my son is like, like he's a really long, lanky kid <laughs> yeah. and still lanky. Um, so I'm like, uh, don't know about football. So we'll, we'll, we'll probably just stick with basketball. And I didn't want to force it on him simply because it was something that I played and his dad played. 
Um, but I do know that it was something that he really enjoyed, something that, you know, he felt like he had to be around all the time because even at such a young age, he always had a ball in his hand. Imagine that he was either shooting, dribbling, or something like that. I mean, you know how kids get when they're in their own world. and Oh, for sure. Either have whatever. Yeah, you know, so they're just all over the place. That was just something he just kept doing. And so I was like, yeah, we'll we'll continue this on. Because, again, it's something I didn't want to force him to do simply because I played or and his dad played. I wanted him to actually be able to want to do it on his own. Okay. So did you play and did dad play as well? I did. So the unique thing about me, and I love my story because um, some parents think that just because their kids don't start out at a at a young age, it's something they're not going to want to do once they get older. So okay. I was actually a cheerleader <laughs> up until <laughs> like the eighth grade. So I didn't start playing basketball until my eighth grade year. Okay. Um, I was cheerleading and I played volleyball. Love volleyball. Volleyball to this day still is like my my probably my favorite sport. It, it really yeah. is before basketball. Um, but where I'm from, volleyball just wasn't as popular at the time. So it, it was still like a club sport. It, it still was a club sport. But in the public school system, it was just, you know, just an extracurricular activity. So I was basically given an ultimatum, honestly, by my high school coach. You know, she was like, you know, you need to choose either volleyball or basketball. So I knew I did have an opportunity to actually be able to go to college to play basketball, which is what I, I did. Obviously, I pursued that and so forth on. Um, but again, okay. I didn't play, start playing basketball until my eighth grade year. And it was crazy because I just remember being a cheerleader, cheering at the game. And it was like something just clicked, <laughs> literally something just clicked. And so that next year, tried out, made the team and was probably one of the most aggressive players. My strength was rebounding. I love okay. to rebound. I don't know what it is about it, but it just, you know, it, it excites me. <laughs> okay. Um, it, it's crazy, but it's so yeah. weird. And people that are really, really good rebounders understand because it's like they're, you, you literally have a nose for it. So the minute someone releases the ball off their hands, you know if that ball is going to fall short, if it's going to go over, if it's going to be long. So that lets you know, like, how in-depth rebounding was for me and how exciting it was for me. Uh, but even even with that, I was still really good at scoring and really good at shooting. But rebounding was just my thing. Okay. So, yeah. Well, just real quick, on, just a, a side, side note. For basketball, is that kind of – do people gravitate to one or two skills or, or abilities? Like, is someone – like they're a total scorer, total shooter. Others are a defensive, um, you know, force. And the other, you know, rebounding. Is it? Is that how basketball kind of lies? Is that how players identify themselves? Well, so that question, I would say, is is a little complex. And I say it's complex because when I look at kids now a lot of them struggle with knowing what their strength is. Thankfully, I was able to identify that early on and okay. actually be able to develop that. Um, and, I, and I say that even with my son, because just watching him throughout his time of playing, like he's a really, really good shooter. I was able to identify that, but he didn't have that confidence within himself mm -hmm. early on. And so just trying to you know, reiterate that, trying to have him to rehearse certain things try to have him to have that confidence in himself with that. 
I noticed a lot of other kids kind of struggle with that. Now, you do have some kids that know what their bread and butter is, but you have some kids that are still trying to figure it out. Um, so that's why I say that the question is a little complex, um, okay. mainly because it's just a matter of that athlete being able to identify what their strength is as opposed to, you know, just being able to be athletic and knowing that they just don't have to necessarily rely on their athleticism because they actually have a natural talent at this. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. All righty. So, so back, back to you real quick, cause I want to hear the rest of your story. So you started playing basketball now it's eighth grade, headed into high school, you're, you're a rebounder. So then like, what's, what's the rest of your story? Yeah. So started, well, yeah, played eighth grade. Then I went to a high school that was out of my district. And mm-hmm. because of that, I had to sit out my freshman year. And the Where'd only thing I was up? able to do, so I'm from Jackson, Mississippi. Um, okay. <laughs> I went to high school. So I went to high school 10th, 11th, and 12th grade at Provine. And they're obviously well known for football and basketball. Okay. Um, my freshman year, I went to Murray High School. That's another powerhouse in basketball because you got players like Lindsey Hunter that went there. Mo Williams went there. And even on the, the winner's side, there are like so, so many female athletes that have, you know, come from actually both programs, both schools that okay. have done extremely well within the um, the basketball world on the professional level, on the collegiate level. So, yeah, you can literally Google multiple athletes that have come from both schools. Um, so, yeah, so my freshman year, I played at Mer. excuse me, I with the Mer. I didn't get to play because, again, I was out of my school district, and if yep. you're out of your district, you have to sit out that year. And so I went to Provine my 10th year, which is obviously where I was supposed to have been. <laughs> um, so I played 10th, 11th, and 12th, went to JUCO, um, fractured my foot at the end of my senior year of high school, so a lot of my offers actually fell off because of that. Obviously, therapy just was not nowhere near advanced as what it was, what it is now. Mm-hmm. So went to JUCO, um, did that for a couple of years. Really, really great experience. Anybody that has ever wondered, you know, is junior college beneficial? And I can tell you 100%, hands down, yes, it is. There's Why? so many opportunities. Oh, gosh, there's so many more opportunities that come from JUCO than you okay. would from high school. Um, and mainly because you get that year of experience on the collegiate level. You get that year to, to grow. You get that year to develop. You know, obviously a lot of people, they can tell you about the freshman 15, the weight that you gain once mm-hmm. you get to your freshman mm-hmm. year college. So, oh, yeah. you know, you get bigger. Um, and even then, I was starting to get recruited by Lamar University my freshman year. So, you know, you have four-year colleges looking at you even at your freshman year in JUCO because they see, okay, now that you have like a true collegiate experience, they know that you, you know, been playing against um, more talented kids because uh, you have some kids that actually come from four-year colleges that go back to junior colleges. And even to this day, that still exists. So JUCO, I'm 100%, I definitely support it. I'll tell anybody, you know, if you don't feel like you're ready for your kids to just go to their four-year college, Definitely go to JUCO route because there's so, so, most, so, so many benefits coming from junior college than most people even are aware of. So does a year at junior college, that count against your eligibility? Yes, it does. It does. The minute okay. that you play, yep, the clock yeah, okay. starts ticking the minute that you participate. Okay. So what you're saying is that just the exposure to the collegiate level, 
You're probably, mm -hmm. if you went to a major D one program, you may not even, you may not play and you're not going to develop. Yep. But what you're saying is junior college, you're in there, you're playing, you're getting stronger, all that. That's your, that's mm -hmm. the advantage you're talking about. Yes. Because it's yeah. in a smaller environment and you're not trying to compete for one for playing time because you don't have to try to compete against veterans as their, their senior and junior year, but you're pretty much playing against oh. players that are either on your level or if they have come from university to the JUCO level, you still get that advantage. But it's gotcha. just in a much smaller environment. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's good. That's great to 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 hear, right? I don't think we think about that much. I know from my perspective and other, you know, people who've been on, they talk about, oh God, I've got to go D1 or bust, or I've got to <laughs> yep. you know, do that. And I've and I've I've lived it, right? And your your kiddos at in D1 all of a sudden man, they're not playing or they're sitting mm -hmm. behind a, a junior and trying to, you know, break through. And so that's a whole nother, you could talk, we could talk about that for a oh, day yeah, and a half, absolutely. right? Okay. So you went to, <laughs> yeah. you went to JUCO and then let's, let's finish out your story. Then we'll get into talking about uh, your son, but so you get mm -hmm. to JUCO and then what happened? Yep. So I went to JUCO, um, had my son going into my sophomore year. So that okay. was another stepping stone in my life that I went through. Um, completely changed my life. Definitely. Yeah, I would imagine. Throw me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. But you know what? Kids, yeah. Newsflash. Kids yeah. change your life, y'all. <laughs> it does. It truly does. Um, but because of that, I learned that life was not about me. So I grew up, obviously, really fast and just yeah. understood what it meant to not be selfish. Because not only am I just taking care of myself, but I'm having to take care of someone else. And so oh, that, um, yeah, so that right there definitely, like I said, changed my life completely, but in a good way. Yep. Um, I still play ball. Very grateful that my coach still allowed me to be on a full scholarship to still be able to come back and play. Um, okay. it's, it's funny because the first game back, I literally scored like 20 points and I think 11 rebounds my first game back. So it was like, <laughs> a double, I, I double. did not miss a beat. Right. And so that's the only basketball like, term I know, I, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. But what's so funny is like, I didn't even know that I had like that many points until I think like an uh, uh, article came in a newspaper. And then my coach was like, did you know you had, I'm like, no, you know, I'm just, I'm just out there just trying to really get the flow back because I had been off for basically like a semester and a summer. So, I mean, but it was good. And I was just very determined to get back in shape, uh, which is not an easy thing. I don't care, you know, whew, what you're going through in life, but after having a kid and then just trying to just get back in shape in general, just get back into the flow of things in general mm -hmm. is, is a true challenge. Um, sure. So, yeah. So because of that, that basically, um, just made me want to stay back well, in Mississippi because I went to JUCO in Mississippi too. Mm -hmm. I did have opportunities to go to other D1 schools, but they were out of state. And so at that, at that point, I was more so focused on just being home and still want to play ball, but mm -hmm. yet still be able to raise my son and be around him. And so that's when I decided that I wanted to go to Mississippi College because it was literally like 10 minutes from my parents' house. Okay. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I went to Mississippi College, um, and actually that's where I ended up coaching probably a couple of years after I graduated. Um, so I played at MC. Um, MC is a, an amazing school academically um, as well as athletically, too, because um, they, I think, may have been ranked 22 in the country when it comes to academics. So they, they were really well known for their academics. 
um, love the school, small environment, private school, and um, definitely built some really, really good relationships there. And, um, yeah, that's, that was it was a unique experience just going there. And so, because a lot of people was like, well, why didn't you go here or why didn't you go there? I was like, uh, because, you know, I do have a child now. But yep. even at MC, um, I had the opportunity to play overseas, in which I turned it down, too, because obviously I couldn't take my son. Because, yep. you know, obviously his well-being was much more important. But for anybody that's just wondering, like, you know, what opportunities are there, even on a, on a small school, like, hey, you could still go overseas and still play professional. Like, there's still chances for you to play professionally, even if you go to a smaller school. Okay. So let me, let me, let me just kind of summarize this for a second. So you kind of gravitated to basketball right before your freshman year in high school, it sounds like. Played, mm-hmm. played through high school, <clears throat> went to junior college, had a child, kept playing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then ended up coaching at the collegiate level. Yep. And and you had the opportunity, <clears throat> excuse me, had the opportunity to go play international, but obviously you have other responsibilities here and you make the the choice to stay here and become a coach. So you yourself have kind of gone mm-hmm. through up through the college thing. So you understand. Yeah, this is great. So okay. So really, as I kind of see it, you're able to pass along a lot of to your son kind of mm-hmm. that insight that I'm going to guess that very few percentage of parents out there have. Yep. As they're trying that to help. Okay. Correct. Okay. So yeah, you got to share like all the wisdom that you've passed on <laughs> to your son. This is, this is going to be good. Okay. So when, I don't even know where to kind of start in terms of your son. So he started playing at super young. Let's he started playing in junior high, middle school. Did he did right there? Did you kind of say, all right, this, this guy's, got some got a, a, a an aptitude for basketball is he skilled or is he just all around athlete mm-hmm. yes he's definitely an all around athlete um okay. the thing that i can say that until this day that we basically go through i wouldn't necessarily say it's a struggle but it is a challenge is that my son is dyslexic okay. and i didn't find that out until he was probably third grade, I think it was. Um, Unfortunately, Mississippi does not have the resources to support students with dyslexia. Um, And that in in itself is a huge challenge. So me learning about dyslexia and and how they think, um, basically how ways that they can be supported, um, because they're extremely, extremely, extremely intelligent people like you have no idea how intelligent dyslexic um people are they see things differently and i noticed that with my son when he's playing he can literally do stuff and i'm like how in the world did he even do something like that it could be like a pass that he got through and i'm like how in the world did he get through you know get through to this person even get that pass so they again they see things differently and so just me learning how he learns and things and obviously dealing with teachers that don't understand it. And just, you know, that, that's a whole battle within itself. But the great thing about it is I was, I was able to be there for him to support him and help him navigate through things. And so when I see that there's some things that he doesn't understand on the floor, that's when we had that conversation. But for the most part, I allowed him to 
trust himself because I don't want him to always just having to come to me and be like, okay, you know, do I do this? Do I do this? And always second guessing himself. I always want him to learn to first off have confidence in himself and definitely trust what he knows or what he's done. And that's, that's pretty much the main advice that I would give to any parent, especially when you have kids that are young. Um, Cause mm-hmm. I hear it so often, even now, they're like, you know, I don't feel like my kid is tough enough or I don't feel like my kid is this or my kid is that. I mean, that's just really part of them learning themselves. And what I tell parents is the main thing is to make sure that they have the fundamentals for one. And then two, make sure that they play a lot because that's the only way they're going to learn how to navigate on the floor. That's the only way they're going to learn like what their strengths really are. That's the only way they're going to learn how to figure things out, you know, Mm -hmm. even when the parent is not there. So they got to be able to trust themselves. And so that's one of the main things that I always try to make sure, you know, that my son was able to do. Obviously, I'm always I'm always arms reach away because I'm like, you know, you, you definitely have to protect <laughs> your kids because yeah. you have so many coaches out there. They, uh, you know, you can pretty much just be a number. And so one of my biggest cries I've always been since he was so young was that too many people want to coach, but nobody wants to take the time to teach. And now, I mean, you know, you have to teach kids. They don't automatically just know things. You have to literally teach them things. Yep, yep. And so um, that was just, you know, with him. I try to let him explore. I definitely watch. I always give, you know, my opinions about things. I don't never just initiate the conversation. I allow him to come to me. Even after a game, I don't discuss it unless he wants to. And that's mainly because, you know, emotions are high. You know, you're feeling one way. Oh, yeah. Especially if you have a bad game or something like that. You really don't want to talk about it. And so yeah. it's like, okay, you know, you give him that 24 hour period and I let him to initiate the conversation. And then we just kind of go from there. Yeah. I, I'm guilty of that myself. I've have done that where, you know, immediately after a game, if something didn't go right, or I felt there wasn't the effort that I thought should have been put forth. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, bringing that up and, Oh, I wish I could do that over again so much, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, you brought up so many great points. So let's, let me, let's see if I can break this down a little bit. Let's go back to his dyslexia, if you don't mind. So mm-hmm. what I think I'm hearing is you're saying what I'll call basketball IQ or court awareness, or just that mm-hmm. intelligence about the game, or what, you know, court, where you are on the court, where everyone else is on the court. Do you think that his dyslexia contributes to his what I'll call his high basketball IQ. Yes, I honestly think okay. it does. And I'll okay. tell you there's two two well known athletes that have dyslexia is Magic Johnson, that's the past, and currently Asia Wilson. And she plays for the Las Vegas Aces. Okay. When you get a chance to actually watch how they perform you'll see that the way that they do things, you're like, man, like they, they perform at such an amazing level. Like they do things that you just wouldn't recognize. You wouldn't even know to see or anything such as that. So if you get a chance to just kind of watch clips or watch them of those two athletes, they both have dyslexia, but yet they both are extremely intelligent, especially on the floor. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm at that age where I've certainly watched Magic Johnson when I was a kid and, you know, how did he get that pass through there? He wouldn't even look in that direction. Right. So I totally get that. Exactly. And it sounds like, um, who was you said plays for Las Vegas? 
uh, Asia Wilson. They currently just won the okay. championship for the last the oh, WBA right. championship. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yep. she has that and, same kind of awareness and and high IQ. Yep. Yes. Yes. Okay. And she actually came out in um, what was this? I think 2011, maybe when she was at. Uh, no, it wasn't 2011. It was much, much past that. She was in college. I do remember that. But okay. that's when she actually publicly announced that she has dyslexia. Um, and she's pretty much a huge advocate for dyslexia and things such as that. So I, I, I love Asia Wilson and everything that she's doing and has done. But she publicly came out and announced that. And, and, I mean, for her to even just, you know, come out and say that says a lot about her as an individual. Okay. All righty. So then you talked about what I kind of feel like you're saying is as a parent, irrespective of having dyslexia or, or any other type of, of, uh, of concern like that, as a parent, you feel like you have to be pretty close with your kid in terms of their relationship with their coach. So you said something like the coaches. Everybody wants to coach, but no one wants to teach. So mm -hmm. do you feel like you were always like having to be right there and, you know, kind of closely yeah. monitoring that? Are you that parent on the, at practice as yep, well as the game? that's me. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> yep. That is me. I am there. I'm watching as long as they allow me to be a person, which most coaches have allowed me to to be there, especially since they, they know I've Well, you know the game. Understand. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, but I, I always tell them, early on, you know, hey, my son, he has, he's, he's dyslexic. So he has dyslexia. And I tell them that because I need them to understand, like, there may be times when they could be going over a play or something, and he may not grasp the concept. And so I'm like, if he looks like he doesn't get it, he don't got it. So you may have to do it again. Um, so like if they're drawing up a play part, at a timeout, like on the white, you know, they have the little handheld whiteboard, and they're saying, hey, you're here, yeah, here. Yeah, that too. Okay. Yeah, or or even in practice. So if it's in something practice. new, okay. because sometimes, yeah, because, you know, sometimes it can take them a minute to process. And so gotcha. they need to just really take a second to to really think about or see in their head, like, what just happened and actually be able to see themselves do it for them to actually do the action. And gotcha. so that's why, you know, I tell the coaches, if he looks like he doesn't got it, he don't got it. So you may okay. have to do it again. Or, you know, you may have to kind of pull him to the side just to make sure, you know, that he understands whatever he don't understand to kind of explain it. And that goes okay. back to my whole concept of saying too many people want to coach, but nobody wants to take the time to teach. Yeah. Because yeah. even then, you know, even, even if you still have an athlete who's not dyslexic, you know, they still have to understand the why. They still need to understand, okay, what is my purpose in this particular role? And so you can't just expect for them to just quite know the why if you don't explain it. And so many people get caught up and they'll just tell you, but they don't give you an explanation as far as what this is for. So it's like, okay, <laughs> you're just sitting there looking gotcha. like, now, what am I supposed to do again? So, yeah. Okay. Okay. So super involved parent, uh, very interesting about the, uh, the basketball IQ. Um, okay. So, Let's let's talk about your son here and kind of his path and get into some of the club basketball stuff. So when did you first get into playing club basketball? And I assume you can play both high school and club. They don't conflict. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when did you kind of go, Correct. hey, let's let's give club basketball a shot? How'd we that happen? Started 
So I think we started about sixth grade with him. I think that's pretty much when it, it started there. Okay. Um, I mean, they still play, you know, uh, rec league for the most part up until I think sixth grade, roughly. Um, so he did play for some AAU teams. Um, me, being, me being the detailed person that I am, I'm like, ugh, my stomach's probably over there just cringing because I'm seeing stuff that should be corrected and it's not corrected or, you know, things that just, just not right. Cause I'm like, okay, when you get to college, you're not going to be able to get away with this. When you get to college, okay. you're going to have to be more detailed than this. You know, when you get to college, they're going to expect for you to be a lot more structured than this. Um, so that, that has been like my, my pet peeve when it comes to watching club sports is that it's, it's, it's good. You do need it, but at, at the same time, it, it's like it has become a money grab, unfortunately. And I don't that know when basketball – Yeah, I don't, I don't understand when and why basketball has gotten so complicated. I'm pretty sure money has a lot to do with it, and which I hate because even what makes as it a player when I play – What makes it complicated? You know, that I have been trying to figure out for the longest – but it's, <laughs> it's crazy, again, yeah, because, yeah. you know, money is pretty much the root of it. But it's like, why? And so you have – so many AAU coaches out there just trying to take advantage of kids. And I say take advantage because let's say you have like a star athlete. Well, now you have this coach who's trying to tag himself to this athlete, you know, trying to get the exposure and things and such. And that way they can build their connection and try to get through the system and get into wherever they want to get to. So that's part of it. And then you also have teams out there that's trying to make the money. Yep. And then you have the teams that are making the money where, let's say, you have those teams that have, let's say, like two, um, two, two, let's say, two ninth grade teams. You got your elite group, and I'm pretty sure you may have heard these terms. You have your elite group, and then you have the other group. Both ninth grade, one just supposed to be a, um, I guess you could say, a more advanced team than the other. Well, what a lot of parents don't know is you have your younger teams that may be actually paying for these elite teams. And so parents are not even aware of this at all because they're thinking they're paying dues just for their kids. But when you think about, okay, you're having to pay for uniform, you're having to pay yep. for backpacks, you're having to pay for shoes, you're having to pay for travel, you're having to pay for so much, but yet they're asking for all this money up front, right? Mm -hmm. So if you were to actually do the calculation yourself, because I did get to the point where I was like, no, I'm not paying for the hotel. I pay for my own hotel. I'm not doing that. I need to see how much the uniform is. Uniforms don't even have to cost as much. Like, you don't even have to get expensive uniforms just for them to go play. So me, obviously, being aware of the, the details of mm -hmm. expense when it comes to to gear in general because, you know, that's something that can be bid on. In college, coaches, we have so many different vendors that they come and they they present their, their bid sheet is what yep, it's called. So they tell you sure. how much all of this costs and things mm -hmm. such as that, and that's when you decide on the best Who your part of your is. club. Yeah. There you go. So when it comes to AAU, it's only one price. Why is that? And so I'm like, no, nope, I need to see, I need to see a breakdown who this is coming from, how much this is cost, why is this costing so much? Because this product alone does not cost as much for that just this one person. Did they so give it to you? If you are you asking the club oh, yeah. for that detail? And they gave it to you? Yes, I do. 
Yes. Yes, they have. If I'm spending my money, I expect you to give me this information. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Good for you. So, <laughs> so yeah. So there are certain things that I don't pay for because I'm like, nope, I can pay for this. This is a lot less expensive for me to pay on my own. Now, if it's just like shoes or uniform and it's as a whole and I see what the wholesale is, okay, yeah, I'll pay for that. But there is, when it comes to traveling, nope, my son will be with you guys, but we're staying at our own hotel. I don't always stay with the team at the hotel, but I do allow my son to be with the team. Yep. When it's time to go to bed, we go into our place because I spent a whole lot less money on that. So it's, it's little things like that that a lot of parents are just not aware of. You're paying so much money up front. Well, some of that money is going to coaches. Some of that money is going to your elite team, and you're paying for other people's other people's kids to play. Okay, and so they don't even have to play. Okay, so let's say so if you if the two levels right, and your kid or my kid is on this lower level team, and you're paying all this this, this money up front, and it's funding the elite team, which is what I think I hear you saying. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, so are you saying those elite teams are not paying or not paying as much or they're paying a little? No, they're also pay- you have you have some elite teams, not all, but there are quite a bit of elite teams that don't pay at all. Really? So think about this. You have some players that just come in that seem like out of nowhere and they're playing. So it's like, okay, you got somebody new on the team. And this is supposed to be a top player. Do you think that top player is going to pay for anything? And here's another thing, which a lot of people, parents are not aware of. You might have a parent that's complaining. They don't have the money to pay for their kids to be on the team. So guess what? The mm-hmm. coach is bargaining with the parent. So that way, this elite player don't have to pay. Well, guess where that money is coming from? The lower teams. The underclassmen. There you go. Yeah. yeah. We used to talk about that, too, in, in, in all our travel sports experience, right, is you always had a handful of folks who cried poor can't do it can't mm-hmm. do it but somehow they managed to be on that most expensive flight for the travel out of town you know yep. or they you know were going out at the nicest dinner or that you know and i'm we're like but we know you can't you say you can't pay your dues or you can't pay as much or you don't pay mm-hmm. you know okay yeah 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 so remember that very well okay so that is very interesting because I don't think I've found another sport where the top teams don't play. I've certainly seen where we have guest players come in mm-hmm. all of a sudden for a, for a tournament that's not in your league or not in your, mm-hmm. you know, your, your sanctioned division or whatever. And it'll be like an independent tournament. We're going to go play maybe early on the season and you'll do that. And they'll, yep. Hey, we're going to bring this, you know, total stud in and he's going to play. Well, that means someone that is paying the dues and has been to the practices as part of the team, their playing time is yep. cut or they don't play at all. Yep. And that's you how it that usually well. ends. So yes, is that very common in basketball? Ends. Unfortunately, it is. Again, when the basketball gets so complicated, I have no idea. But what <laughs> has a lot of what, what uh, the, the common denominator is? Money. Unfortunately. For sure. For sure. Okay. So is this complexity and this, this kind of picture that, that I, that I'm seeing in my mind of, of club basketball, is that common in DFW? Is that common in the U S is it? That's common in the U S in the U S. Okay. That is very common in the U S. Okay. So talk about just the culture of basketball a little bit, right? So does that drive division in the parent group where you have the the haves and the have nots to put, you know, to put it simply, 
is or is do you is it common to have a team where yeah everybody's chipping in everybody's paying and we're all getting along and we're you know we're going 500 on the season what's what's it really like out there so it, if you have a much smaller team you may have everybody paying maybe it just depends okay. on that coach's goal but again that's that's very slim um other than that i mean again it's it's ridiculous if if a parent and that's the thing a lot of parents are not aware of the power that they actually have so you will have some aau teams they may provide you a very generic sheet about how much the total fee will be they may say something this is to cover general expenses this is this is your monthly dues and it doesn't break it down. Well, as a parent, you have the right to know exactly where every dollar is being spent. But most parents don't do it because they're thinking, okay, well, you know, they just think this is for uniform, this is for travel, and this is to pay gym fees. Or do they well, think if they question not, that their kid's playing time is going to be impacted? If you're a problem parent. Nope, it wouldn't matter. Because at the end of the day, if your child is not playing and you still don't say nothing, well, guess what? You're still out of the pocket anyway. So no, what I guess I'm saying is like, would parents be reluctant to put pressure on, you know what? I need to see the breakdown. I need to see your cost and then so, compare that to the honestly, price. I think it doesn't happen enough. And I think that's one of the reasons why yeah. it gets it, it gets away, which is because you don't have parents that ask for that breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All righty. So, yeah. Okay. So did this type, so when you got into club, uh, when did you start playing club again with your son? How old was yeah, he? Yeah, he was about sixth grade. So yeah, I think he was about maybe fifth or sixth grade is when he started playing. And he was playing for, um, he started out playing with a local team. Okay. And which that was like dirt cheap because obviously it was local and, you know, mm -hmm. you, you barely pay for anything. It may be like 20 bucks or something. So um, I did that. And then okay. eventually I wanted him to play on a traveling team. And obviously okay. that's where the money starts to, yep, you know, sure. <laughs> start oh, yeah. adding up. And, um, and it's funny because again, I worked for, i worked at a bank, like starting my junior year and probably two years after I graduated from college, that's when I was off of the um, assistant coach position at Mississippi college. Then two years or roughly probably a little bit more after that. That's why I went back to banking. Well, one of the coaches actually banked where I worked. And so with it, I was able to kind of see where expenses were going. And that's what really just made me like, you know what? I can't, like I knew it was happening, but for me to actually see what was going on, that just made it 10 times worse for me. And so it was, it was really from that point on, I'm like, no, I, I can't trust anything like I need to see a detailed report of everything okay and so you know there was a coach that was actually like spending money at McDonald's and you know things and stuff like that and so it wasn't like you know this was going to a particular company for uniforms for shoes or it was just paying for you know hotels or whatever so it wasn't like just one lump sum for this particular thing it was just like it was his personal account but it was the basketball's account so okay. I'm like, so he's wow, running the, the, the operations of the basketball team through his personal bank account. 
Yep. You have some okay. coaches that do that, unfortunately. Okay. Okay. So yeah, it's uh, it can really be an eye-opening experience once you start paying attention to little things, once you start asking questions, once you start just really noticing things, then that's when like that light bulb kind of click and like, wait a minute, all this don't add up to what you're saying that we need to spend this money for. Um, so yeah, my advice, definitely parents, ask, ask for detailed information because you really need, okay. you have the right to know where every dollar is being spent. Do you know if these basketball clubs, are they for-profit or are they non-for-profit? Some of them like say they're non-for-profit. Yeah, they, they are. But you'll have some of them that actually say that they're non-profit. But okay. at the end of the day, they're still for-profit. They're still generating a bug. Yep. Okay. <laughs> okay. So let's keep on this money theme for a second because this is so important in my mind about club sports for, for people who want to know or you know think, think about, you know, they're about to – dive into the world of club sports, right? Okay. So you're just paying your fees to get on the court, have a uniform, maybe do a couple of tournaments and travel and just kind of the, the, the basic cost of putting a team on the floor, have a coach and go play some tournaments. Right. Okay. Yep. And other sports like volleyball and hockey, where my experience lies is like, then you have outside instruction. So now you're paying, you're getting lessons and, uh, to kind of I'll go back and kind of point back to a, to a past episode. It was our baseball episode. I think it was our second episode uh, where we're talking about like uh, they were talking about two kids, right? Two sons. And mm-hmm. he had um, uh, a pitching coach. Then they had a hitting coach. Then they had a fielding coach. Right. So they were taking like three lessons, you know, spread out over, you know, Tuesdays is hitting and Thursdays is fielding. And then the following Monday is pitching. And, you know, now you're paying for lessons. Is that, does that Mm -hmm. go on in basketball as well? So with the lessons they do, you do have coaches that do um, like individual work. And and even that, honestly, I kind of get slightly irritated about that because you have coaches that call themselves doing, workouts well they don't simulate game situations so you're really mm-hmm. not helping your player be developed because they're just out here basically you know practicing against their own shadow and so it does them no good or they, they're doing basic drills that don't really help them or benefit them in the game so and not working on technique our, or specific yeah, and, correct and so okay. that was one of the things that I, that I, oh my God, I went through a lot with my son. Okay. Because you have so many coaches, they, they talk a good game. You know, they sound like they know what they're talking about. But then when you actually see the work, it's like, man, we could have done this in the backyard at home for free. Yeah. But they want to charge you anywhere between 60 to a hundred dollars a session. How is a session an hour? Stuff. Yep. Session an yep. hour. Yep. 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 Okay. So I'm okay. like, yeah. is that 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 can be so irritating to sit there and watch that too. And again, it's like, what are what are we doing here? And then you wonder why some players aren't really getting better and you're spending so much money for them to see it kind of be performing the same way. Okay. Wow. Yeah, the this the, this uh it's it's a common theme what I'm hearing. Right Mm -hmm. now. I mean, I, I should, I always try to go on record and say, so I'm, I'm pro club sports, right. 
And, but that's coming from me as, as a parent, right? I mean, it, it, Mm -hmm. it worked in my opinion for me. And I think there's a lot of benefits to club, right? Playing at that higher level, you know, if that's what you're trying to do, um, I would imagine, Mm -hmm. let me ask you this, because I want to start getting into kind of as your uh, son is in his senior year. And if he's thinking about college, I want to talk about that here in a second, but okay. So as you're kind of moving up the, the, the chain in the club sports world, do colleges, do they recruit from high school or do they recruit from the club scene, the AU? And I think, you know, we had kind of, we had a preliminary discussion a few days ago where we talked about, you know, there's a Nike and Adidas and Under Armour. Mm-hmm. Right? Where are the colleges recruiting from? Or yeah, it- they really, they actually start recruiting. You could probably say about maybe sixth grade, fifth grade, but those are usually like your top, top players, like your ranked Seriously. innovation players. Yeah. And they're identified that because, early. Yes. They're identified that early. Um, and you can actually Google it, like ESPN um, players class of, let's say, 2034, which is hypothetically speaking. But you can literally, like, Google that, and you'll start seeing kids' names on an ESPN list that early on. Um, and a lot of them get recognized through club sports. So those that is a benefit for club sporting, is that your kid does get that exposure. But even then, that can still be kind of tricky because, once again, your kid may or may not play depending on what's going on in that club. But I can say it is a benefit to it. Um, my son, he played his freshman year in high school. He mm-hmm. um, broke his wrist his sophomore year, so he didn't get a chance to play his sophomore year. Mm-hmm. His junior year, after his first game, he injured his hip flexor um, oh, no. that kept going on. Yeah. So about January, I was like, you know what? Let's just call it a quit. We'll focus on AAU starting in spring and go from there. Cause at this point, I didn't know what kept causing the injury to reoccur. Mm-hmm. Basically come to find out it's because his growth plate is still growing. I mean, still yeah. open and he's still growing. He'll see me growing once he get into college. So he'll still be kind of dealing with this. Now he just knows how to manage it. Okay. Um, but because we did decide to go through the circuit route, he did get that exposure. And the what he route? got a lot of invites, um, the AAU route. So okay. going through the circuit, like Adidas. Again, we talked about Adidas, um, yeah. Nike, EYBL. And then that's we called have circuit? Under Armour. Yes, that's called the circuit, the okay. shoe circuit. And it's uh, obviously circuit. your shoe team. Yep, the shoe circuit. So you have um, Nike, which is your top one, Adidas second, and then Under Armour is pretty much third. And then you have... Uh, New Balance. I forgot about New Balance. New Balance is another one. So those are your four shoe circuit programs that you have kids playing on. They get the most looks compared to your local AAU team. Um, So much money is within the shoe circuit. There's been some people um, that can definitely, hopefully I can probably try to get you in contact with someone. They can really go more in depth about how the shoe circuit came about, Mm -hmm. the purpose of it, and things such as that. Um, but it is, there is, there are some benefits to it. I will say that. Cause again, that's pretty much where your coaches, your college coaches come and watch play. If you're not on the circuit, I mean, your chances of getting seen by any top program or any division one program, D2 or D3 or JUCO, um, the chances are pretty slim, unless, you know, your coach has some really, really good connections with college coaches. That's pretty much the only way. Okay. Uh, but other than that, 
shoe circuit is has become the way to go to get that exposure. Okay. And I got to believe, and keep me honest here, Anisha, I got to believe that the level of competitiveness is very high, right? Because you're talking thousands of players, boys and girls, who are playing basketball that are probably playing some sort of club and also these shoe circuits. Is it boys and girls on the shoe circuit? Yes. Okay. Boys and girls. So got, right. Now, again, basketball is not my, not my thing, but it feels like what 12 roster spots on a collegiate team. How many, how many roster spots? Correct. You, how many players can you carry? 12. Yeah. It's 12. Yeah. It's about 12. Okay. So let's say 12, and even if you're having even distribution of, of freshman, sophomore, junior, seniors, right, that's three at each thing. So let's say if you have three spots that open up every year, we're talking pretty competitive. The odds of making it to mm-hmm. college in basketball pretty, pretty pretty low. Yes. Is that a fair statement? That is a fair statement. And let's not forget about the transfer portal, which is making a huge, huge, oh, yeah. huge change. In... <laughs> you got yeah. yeah, don't get me started. I mean – it's, yeah, between COVID yeah. and the transfer portal, it's it's it affects volleyball, it affects hockey, it's it's everywhere. So, okay, okay. So there's so much to get into here. There's so much to get into. We're there's definitely gonna have to have that. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to have you back. Yeah. So now I don't understand what you're saying. It's complicated, right? Okay. So all right. So this back this back to your son. So. Uh, is he thinking about trying to play in college? Is is he going to play school ball? How are his injuries? What's kind of what where's yes. he at right now? Yes. So because yeah, he is going to play college, but because of the injury, um, honestly, I'd rather for him. I'm I'm really thinking about letting him do post grad first before going to college. And for one, that's to um, allow his body to grow some more yep, um, yep. and then to, to get that experience since he's kind of behind from losing like a year and a half, basically. Um, so I don't, I really don't want him to go into college right away and lose that year of eligibility and that year just only be wasted on being developed. So I'd rather for him to, I'm strongly thinking about letting him do post-grad after his senior year. So that way he can, you know, first off, get high school out of his system. Cause again, that's, that's a whole nother topic that I can go on about. Um, but to, to you mean athletically get high school out of his system or socially get high school out of his system? Well, no, athletically. And I say this because, okay. Yeah. Because there, there really is a difference with AAU and high school ball. And that's one of the main reasons why college coaches likes to see both because the kids play different and it is tell, almost explain, like AAU. Tell me, how do they play different? Yeah. So with AAU, it's like they have more freedom and you can, you can really tell if you were to just actually go watch a kid play AAU, then go watch a kid play with his high school team. So AAU gives them a lot more freedom. It allows them to be able to do things that they wouldn't be able to do for the most part with their high school coach or with their high school team. Yeah. High school is, is a little bit more, I guess you can say structured. Um, but even with that, depending on the coach, I mean, you have some coaches that just really don't allow a lot of movement within their offense. Um, but AAU is a lot more free flowing and things such as that. So you're thinking about 
stationary versus non-stationary. So movement, non-movement. Structure, freedom. That's pretty okay. much the difference when it comes to the two. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Um, gotcha. But you do have some really good, you know, really good high school coaches that know what they're doing. And then it's funny because you have a lot of high school coaches that don't even like AAU. And you have a lot of AAU coaches who feel like they have to reprogram their kids when they leave from high school to play AAU. So there is a conflict between the two, believe it or not. That's fascinating. Yeah. So it sounds like Very. the AAU and the, 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 the circuit teams and, and programs, right? I bet that can turn very easily into like an individual showcase for players. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Whereas it, high it school, does. you're trying to beat your crosstown rival. Yep. Or get win the district championship and get to the playoffs, and you have to play in the structure. Yeah, that that that. Yep. That's how that that sits in my mind. Okay, mm-hmm. so real quick, one thing I want to want to I want to make a statement here. I want you to tell me what what do you think, right? So your comment about having your son do a postgraduate year, which it sounds like you, I don't know if that's through your current high school or if you go off to a different school or however that works. But really what I think I hear for me, that really screams being patient because I know a lot of parents and I've had these thoughts too. I'm not going to pretend that I'm above this where (laughs) if my kid doesn't go D1 right after the, the first time they're eligible to go D1, then, Mm -hmm. you know, then we're behind or, you know, it's not going to work out or whatever. If I could do some things over again, I would be much more patient with development. And if anybody's listening that may be one of my 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 Mount Rushmore of of advice, right? Four pieces of advice I give. That would be one: is find a way to be patient with their development yes. if they have the passion, yes. if they they are gravitating. It's their dream, not yours, right? But so is that Correct. is that a, a fair way to think about it? That's exactly the way to think about it. Yes, allow him to be developed. Yeah. Yeah, that's and yeah. and be prepared for it mentally because some kids are really not ready for college coming straight out of high school. And and I oh, saw yeah. that as a coach. And you have kids that are pressured by their parents to play the sport. And then when they get through, well, not even get through condition preseason conditioning, but when they're starting preseason conditioning, that's when they quit. And so now it's like, you know, <laughs> what do I do all my life? Now they have to tell their parents. You know, I'm not playing ball anymore. Yeah. I'm just a student. And it's all because of the pressure. And they felt like they had to be, you know, at a D1 school or at a university or something such as that instead of just being patient. Allow them to be developed, be on their own, and actually figure out if this is what they really want to do. Because once you get to that level, you're on your own. And it's, it's really a job. Like you're having to get up oh. on your own early in the morning, having to go to workouts, you got to go to class. Yeah. You got to study, you got to travel. Like if you are a, an adult and you're having to do things coming from, you know, mom watching everything I do to me just being out here trying to figure out life, not knowing what is happening. Yeah. And I can't, yeah, that was eye opening for me when my kids got into playing college in their, in their sports was how structured it is and how much free time mm-hmm. you really don't have. Being a D one athlete is school is not optional. I, I mean, I've, I've, 
I'm looking at it from the sports that, that I'm aware of, right? Hockey and, mm-hmm. and, and, and volleyball, right? Not, now, if you're the Heisman candidate quarterback at some D1, <laughs> you know, SEC school, maybe your experience is different. Or if you're, right. you know, the the hot shot, uh, you know, point guard on, you know, Iowa or, you know, pick pick a, a very successful women's team, right? LSU, mm-hmm. then maybe it's different for you, but that's less than 0.1% of people, right? If you're playing exactly an Olympic sport, uh, at a D one college or D two area at the collegiate level period, get ready. Cause you don't have much time. All right. So exactly. So. And that's, that's, that's another thing that it took me a minute to get. So, all right. So just in, in, in wrap it up here, you've been very, very gracious with your time, Anisha. I appreciate it. So, um, uh, so overall is the, is, he'll do the the post-grad and then is he is he good with that is then he or is he in a hurry to get to college or what what's his thought well no well initially he was kind of like you know he wanted to go straight to college so then when I sat down and talked to him and explained the concept you know what's going on why I feel like this would be better for him um he understood and so he was pretty open to it and um because I mean at the end of the day he just wants to play ball (laughs) And then obviously he wants to play college. And so, you know, his journey just may look a little different than most kids, but as long as he still gets to do what he loves to do, then that's all that really matters. Yeah. Well, good. Well, Anisha, as I said, you've been just extremely gracious through your time, your, your, your information and the stuff you talked about is, was just, refreshing to hear and it feels like it's coming from from down deep so i really appreciate you you sharing all that um i really uh would like to as i always say i want to reserve the right to to have you back on because i think we could talk about you know patience and development for example we could talk we could have a group of coaches slash parents and you know whoever talk about that so i think you know something like that would be great to have you back on but um thanks a ton and um i uh just want to say welcome to the club we're going to have you back (laughs) oh absolutely i would definitely love to come back and share whatever information i can provide so thank you for having me here what a great way to kick off 2024 Thanks again to Anisha for coming on and talking to us about basketball. It was good to gain some insight into a sport in which I have zero exposure. Uh, and also really happy that she started the conversation about cost. I'd like to get into more cost conversations in 2024. I think it's one interesting and two, it's critically important because money is what makes the, the, the programs go. It brings the good coaches in and therefore – it drives the best development, which at the end of the day, for a lot of us, I think it's the development of our kid in their particular sport of choice to get them to the next level. So more to come on that in 2024. I think it's going to be a great year. Really looking forward to it. And thanks for everybody who tuned in in 2023. And uh, don't hesitate to reach out. We'll start amping up our social media activities again and really get into um, some interesting topics in 2024. And again, welcome to the club.